Hey folks, welcome to this week's episode of Weird in High School with Angela Autumn. Before I get into this fantastic chat with Angela, a little bit of housekeeping to take care of. The morning that I taped this episode with Angela, my grandfather passed away, my grandfather who I lived with, and that is a slew of life change for me. And I will be taking a little break, I hope you understand, a couple weeks to get back on track with recording some episodes and deal with some of the sound teching gigs I have and get some projects that are lingering finished and give myself a little bit of brain space. That said, it was absolutely fantastic to talk to Angela. It really meant a lot to me to have just a conversation about music and what I love and the thing that has gotten me through absolutely everything in life and I'm sure I'm not alone with that and that's why I do this show and that's why I like to talk to musicians and share these stories. It's, it's really everything to me, and to me it's the opposite of all the hardship is, is songs and is the companionship and communion that happens through sharing them. Without further ado, please enjoy this chat with Angela Autumn. But I think that maybe talking about gems is a good way to start this off, because I'm sure that a lot of people have discovered you through gems and have discovered you through Western AF. Um, mm-hmm. I think... I want to say it was a few years ago that I saw the shooter video, if I don't have my timeline Mm -hmm. wrong on that. And Mm -hmm. I I feel like, is it fair to say that that Dancer has been a good little jump? Like, I've certainly, I've watched your Spotify listeners Mm -hmm. even triple, it seems Mm -hmm. like, in the time I've been listening to you. Yeah, yeah. Everything kind of worked out, um kind of lined up this year for me just with the release you know of dancer um which will be on the upcoming record <laughs> and so i did yeah, i did release the studio the studio record um version of dancer pretty recently and i was really humbled by how many people like showed up for me and tuned in on spotify and i feel like a lot of those people probably saw saw the video of Dancer that I did with Gems. Um, so that felt really good. That felt really, really good. It just feels good to know that my that people don't just listen to the video one time and then like run off and hide in, in their respective hole. Like they can't they came back. And so that encourages me to keep keep releasing and making more music. Um, (laughs) there are some of those videos that and dancer being one of them that that i keep coming back to i think the often because they're unreleased songs if you connect Mm -hmm. with a song that way then you come back to it to hear it i had that with hayden's lament by benjamin todd that just like Mm -hmm. rocked my world and i i uh just kept coming back to it and coming back to it. And I actually, I like that version more than the album version. And Dancer's an interesting one for me because I, I found I had gotten so bonded to the to the one on video, the acoustic one, that my first listen to the studio one was a little like, this is weird and different. It's like if you, you go to grandma's house and she's like, change something. You're like, why'd grandma. you change the couch? Like, like... Just mm-hmm. your, your, your attachment and your comfort to it. I have come to really, really love that studio version. Um, Thank you. Who did you do that with and, and where? What was Thank your you. process on that one? So I co-produced it with my friend Tommy Carnes, and we recorded it at Sound Emporium over on uh, Belmont in Nashville. It's Cowboy Jack Clements' old studio, and... We tracked it full band live and the vocals are live. We did not um, overdub them. So it's just everything was like done in the studio and it felt it felt really organic and it felt it feels like rocking to me. Just it feels different than other things that I've recorded and I love it. I just in love with it. <laughs> I, I do really, there's some great production choices on there, and I, I love that it's not the conventional kind of alt-country mold. There are some different things in terms of almost some uh, 
in ways it reminds me of the last war on drugs record just the way that the like that record is just layers on layers on layers because it's a sean everett record but the the ways that it's it's what a wurlitzer or a Rhodes that's kind of sneaking Mm -hmm. in there under the guitar and just adding this little bit of depth and the guitar on it kind of there's a few guitar players that i really love like harrison whitford that the guitar on that reminds me of who Mm. guitar players that that don't I think of them as like guitar players that know their place. Like they mm-hmm. aren't, hey, I'm here, I'm a guitar. They're just adding these subtle little bits of electric guitar and letting the song breathe. It's really, uh, my, my review is like 10 out of 10, great execution on that one. Thank you. Yes. Um, I wanted to be careful not to overdo the production of Dancer and yeah, so you hear Jess Nolan on keys, who is an amazing, amazing keyboard player. And uh, I think the best, I think the coolest thing about the track is the, are the drums and the in, the choices that Ross McReynolds made, you know, and especially on the different groove, the groove changes, you know, in the chorus when it's, when the groove changes a little bit and it slows down, it just like, I just love the way that, that he, that he played drums and. I feel like that makes it really special. Did you end up doing that whole record at Sound Emporium? I did. I did. Yeah. And also one of the tracks features Willie Carlisle. Um, it's called Musician's Bride. You can like listen to a clip on my Instagram. It's it's way back. It says Kickstarter. Um, but yeah, we recorded everything there. Except Willie came in. Willie came to Nashville in February and ended up singing on the track. So he wasn't there for the whole, the whole shebang, but we still got him there. Still got him in. Willie seems like a a total pro in terms of like everything Mm -hmm. he does seems really intentional, really Mm -hmm. considerate. I find there's a, there's kind of a trapping of like cool guy apathy in music and like, especially when people are are reaching success to kind of brush it all off. And I, I so much appreciate his kind of earnestness about everything. Um, so just even the title of that song that I'm, it's great in my head. Just the, the title, um, feels very, I can imagine what Willie would have to contribute to, to a song like that. Yeah, Willie gets it because Willie is, Willie like walks a line. He's not part of the whole fragile masculinity, you know. He's just authentic in his expression of himself, his like gender identity. And I I knew that if I got a really like gruff man, you know, with a like a, like an alt country dude, I wasn't sure if you would get the the meaning of the song, you know, it's like it's kind of like a feminist song. So I wanted to have someone who um, that I feel like would understand the vibe. Are you still independent at this point in terms of releasing? Mm-hmm. Are you working with a label? Mm-hmm. I'm independent right now. I'm working um, working with a lot of folks in the community to who really helped me out so like I have a stylist and like photographers and you know a little bit of publicist work I work with Josh Shoemaker who's an amazing like videographer here in town um and yeah I work I'm working like relatively low budget just because I am still independent but I'm hoping to to gain some uh label representation soon so if anyone's listening to this, um, I'm a really hard worker. <laughs> I do everything myself at this point. Um, but I was just talking to uh, some friends yesterday, and they just said, just focus on the music, because at this stage in the game, you know, that's the most fun part. I kind of, I, I wonder how much someone in your position would need it. I mean... The, the role of the label now is interesting because labels mostly, at least bigger labels, mostly poach from smaller labels or wait for someone to get a claim on their own. Um, mm-hmm. 
Like mm-hmm. if you develop that 200,000 follower or whatever, that that's when they mm-hmm. become interested. And at, at that rate, I kind of wonder how much they're adding, I guess. Like cause I've looked at recording at Sound Emporium before and there's something very mm-hmm. magical in the walls of that mm-hmm. room. And, uh, yes. but it is an investment. I think it's probably a worthwhile investment, but I, I guess mm-hmm. the way I'm kind of thinking about it is, is if you're ready to front some of those investments on your own and you can, figure out how to do that in a way it puts you in this really in control position with respect to to what yeah. you're putting out and your connection to your audience i feel really i feel i do feel really in control maybe i'm a control freak but i do feel really in control because i have had a lot of time to think about things and i don't feel i feel like maybe some people who are on labels um are forced to release on a certain timeline and i i'm just not you know i'm just not in that that place that's like not it's not how i'm releasing music i'd like to release every year and this year got a little bit crazy um i wanted to release like back in april but it just didn't happen and it's probably gonna be fall so it's like it's like working with what I have, like the funds that I have and like the momentum that I have at any given time and um, making the release happen just organically seems to be, seems to be what's happening for me, you know? And I, and I sell, I sell my shit on the road. <laughs> like, like I, you know, I, I get, I, I like see that money come back to me. So I, I don't know how I feel about someone you know, like comping, you know, my sales or something like that. It just doesn't feel, doesn't feel good. <laughs> you know, it, but, it, sorry. Yeah. But maybe, I mean, but maybe like I have friends like, like Riley Downing is a, is a great example of someone who has like, you know, he explained the record industry to me a little bit and I don't know. I'm just, I'm just learning all this. It is interesting. I had a, I host an open mic at this this cafe where I live in Calgary, and and we're starting to book some small shows here. Like we we don't we have hardly any capacity at all. So I mm-hmm. booked an artist recently, and like the most we can fit is like twenty people. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, she packed the room, and it's one of those situations where she has a listenership on Spotify of like three hundred thousand monthly listeners. And we like, we did succeed at exactly filling our like 20 person capacity, but I really didn't see like, I'm I'm noticing with my friends that do better on Spotify and things that that's not necessarily translating to people coming out to shows because there are artists that don't have that same like Spotify following, but who have a like reliable listenership that will come every time they're in town. But what I did, what what I thought about from an economic standpoint was she sold 20 tickets for $20. That's 400 bucks. That's, that's actually, that's not a bad way to be. Like if you can get in every city, mm-hmm. 20 people that'll pay 20 bucks to see you. That's really yeah. not a bad, <laughs> there's, there's like worse yeah. ways to make a living. Yeah. Somebody said, like someone said to me one time, if you have a hundred fans that'll spend $100 on you, that's a lot of money, you know? And I just want to focus on, the people that continuously reach out and like pin them down and travel to them. Like that's, that's part of my mission is just traveling where people really want to see me and I can like build more communities. Cause I, I mean the world's, this is a weird, this is a weird like world right now that we live in. And I just want as much community as, as possible. And I get that through music. It is kind of one of the, (laughs) <laughs> I, I I recently and not to be too self-indulged but a, a band no I, I was I was up at the Edmonton Folk Festival recording podcasts and as a member where of is Press. that where where is Edmonton are you in Canada yeah I'm, I'm Calgary? in Calgary how familiar so are you Edmonton? with Canada I know that I just like so Vancouver is on the west coast yeah and like BC is on the east coast and like Montreal is on the east coast and then I know there's a lot of other stuff on the west coast where are you so in the middle? basically like, like Canada is at least Western Canada is these giant provinces. Like yes. Alberta is probably the size of like 
Montana, Utah, and Wyoming combined. Like, um, so we're, I'm basically straight north of Montana. And then so, Edmonton okay. is, uh, what, miles? About 150 miles farther north of Calgary. Wow. So, so why do they have a folk festival up there? That seems like, that seems... A, difficult to travel to. B, desolate AF. I mean, it seems kind of awesome, though. Well, it is interesting. Like, people compare Alberta. It's like the Texas of Canada, euphemistically. Uh, like, it's like, it's it's the redneck oil province. Uh, granted, okay. Canadian rednecks are are not. We're, we're like, we, we're all the uh, lifted trucks and those fun parts. But, uh mm-hmm. But, I'm more of a hillbilly personally. Like, I, I come from like hillbilly blood, but I love rednecks too. They're like my cousins, you know. Well, I think <laughs> I, I think the hillbilly stuff is a little more in BC. They have a little more of that like rolling hill mm-hmm. country. But it, it is interesting from the perspective of, and I don't want to be too self indulged and just rant about where I am. But it is interesting, like. There's actually there's there's three good folk festivals in Alberta. So Calgary Folk Festival happens the second weekend of August and we had headliners like Kevin Morby and watch house. Um, cool. I got to meet Rachel Bayman. She's super awesome. I don't know if you're hip mm-hmm. to her, but Nashville cat. Yeah. And, uh, and like Trey Burt was up and then Canmore uh, folk fest, which Canmore's like, you probably heard of Banff, like the big national park. It's big. Everyone goes to Banff, like all the like Japanese tourists and stuff. Banff? Go to the Banff Park. So Canmore is like just outside of Banff National Park, like Mountain Town. Is it called Banff? Like yeah. badass motherfucker? Why? B-A-N-F-F. Banff? And then from there, the next weekend is Edmonton. So there's kind of like a rotation. But but I think Edmonton and Calgary, they're both like roughly one and a half million people cities. So I think it does like... I saw Anna Tivill up there from Portland and she just kind of like talking to her band. I think people are kind of surprised when they come up because like Montana's pretty sparsely populated and Wyoming's pretty sparsely populated. So I don't think people uh-huh. necessarily expect that they'll get like these kind of bigger cities, the fourth and fifth largest cities in the country, like north of these states that are that are not very populated. But it is. Uh, this feels like, yeah, this feels like something I didn't. I was not aware of. It, it is interesting. I've noticed there's like three podcasts in this like kind of whatever Americana-ish genre that are like Cowboys and Hippies. Garrett is from Edmonton. And who else did I just... I just listened to Willie Carlisle on this dude's podcast. And uh, he, that guy's also from from Edmonton. Or, and so it's like... I have noticed there's a big contingent. There's a big, big listenership up here for it because it's like yeah. kind of the whatever Canadian heartland, so to speak. But uh, but well, I'll have to come up there sometime. That sounds that sounds great. It is I'm so excited to travel more as as things progress and yeah and open up. I think it's like safe for me to come to Canada with a passport, correct? Yeah, that- I mean, if you we can talk on the tail end if you want to know more about about doing that but uh yes we will have to we'll have to we'll have to chat about that thank you so much the um i did want to ask you about the story of dancer because i (laughs) my my take on that song which i i I felt like i needed to story and tag you was it feels like a zane gray novel and particularly i don't know if you're into western novels they're kind of a niche interest but the riders of the purple sage is just like it's everything like there are these sprawling stories and everything's somehow connected, but it's like a 10 hour episode of the Simpsons. Like, and I feel like that song really embodies those characteristics and I'm so mystified by it. Uh, share as much or as little as you'd like to. I know some, some people want to leave the song a little more open-ended, but I am curious about some of these lines, like, like road mm-hmm. horses back and forth just to pass the time. Like it does feel mm-hmm. like it, there's this, narrative of like blue collar kind of mining towns it feels like and the dancer from houston how much would you like to demystify that for us um 
I can demystify it. I mean, it's probably just, it'll probably make me less mysterious <laughs> to, if you know the real origin. Um, <laughs> Up to you. I know some people like to leave yeah. things op open-ended. Well, I will say, I will say it's a story song about my family. And I will say the first verse is about my, my father and who's no longer with, with us. And the second verse is about my mother. That's like true. So it's, I guess, autobiographical to my family line. And I think my family story and history is just so interesting and weird and unique. Like all of ours are so unique. Um, my father worked in Houston um, for a company called Gulf Oil in the 70s. Um, and he had a woman there who was pretty wealthy um, and had horses. And I think they ended up splitting up because my dad was like kind of a rapscallion, like poor middle class dude. And he just couldn't really deal with that, that lifestyle. So he left Houston, came up to Pennsylvania where he's from, um, met my mom who worked in factories her whole life, started going to work when she was 16 years old and like textile. And she worked in a, a window factory um, to like paint glass. Uh, and that's what the second verse is about. And she, my mom, my mom uh, has just had a really, really tough life. And I wanted to kind of write about that. Like she just worked in a factory with, with men. Like, um, but she's also this mystical, like artistic figure that I feel, I feel like has influenced my creativity. So um, I wanted to like trap her in time a little bit. <laughs> And I guess the chorus of the song is, is about the dissolution of their relationship. Like my mom waiting on my dad to be this like character that he just wasn't, you know, like you're waiting on him, but you already have the answer. It's the answer is in you. Like you're the dancer of in your own life and you're just a mirror and a shadow of everything and everyone. Yeah, I think that's that's probably all I'll share about it. I I, uh, I appreciate that that <laughs> level of sharing. That's uh, mm -hmm. I think Cor Blund talks about having the antenna always up, um, and I think that there is a role when you assume this kind of inner world and the ability to construct stories out of everything that can be mm -hmm. kind of isolating. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that's true for you? Do you feel like it's hard to live in the actual world when you're always when part of your brain is building these storylines out of everything you're experiencing yes yes I I don't think it's entirely negative because it's it's I love my imagination and I think everyone should have a healthy relationship to their imagination but I do think it affects my rela the relationships with people around me because from those relationships, I, I draw stories and conclusions, you know? So um, I, think, I think songwriters sometimes look for stories in creating realities that aren't really even there and that <laughs> and sometimes that can be dangerous you know to always be seeking you know new material but um but songs have come out of like the darkest places that, that I've visited you know so I'm I'm grateful grateful to to be able to write them what do you think about the role of of folk music as the music of the people and the connection mm -hmm. between I just I want to lay my kind of thought process out clearly here I see yeah. this kind of pathway where people will become successful writing about their lives and then once they become yeah. successful and all their time is spent 
at rest stops and in a van that that's what they start to write about. And I see this kind of disconnect often I see. as people I succeed between kind of folk music and folks. Do you, how do you feel yeah. about that connection between needing to live a life that is a real life and is sincere and is relatable and being able to actually write songs that, that are going to connect with average people? Yeah. So you're saying, and I've noticed this, this is a really interesting discussion point. I've noticed a lot of country music is about traveling and being, you know, it's like normal people don't do that. But I think John Prine is a, is a great example of somebody, someone that just can look in peer into other people's lives and have take those underdogs and those like, misanthropic characters and turn them into beautiful works of art and um and if you're traveling all the time and you're not falling in love and you're not working dead-end jobs i don't know i think there maybe maybe you can draw from books that you read or maybe you can draw from stories that people tell you but you really have to have that antenna up you really have to pay attention and then if you're like me like this this next record that i'm releasing is almost like i it's going to be called my blank pages so it's about closing a closing the closing a chapter in my life um and kind of making sense of like my family of origin you know, so I, I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question, but it's definitely not about road life at all. You've been at this for a while. Hey, like it's yeah. there, the, the more yeah. I kind of dig up about you, the, the older things I find at what point did you start? You're from Pennsylvania originally. Yeah. At what point did you begin pursuing music there? And at what point did you decide to take it seriously enough and move to Nashville? Yeah. Um, well, it was always like this dream I had and that I kept really close to me. I say it's the dream I kept in my front pocket that no one else could see. Um, because if I told people that I wanted to be a songwriter, like that's just not something that you do where I'm from. And if you do, then you stay in the stay in the local circuit and you play the bars and that's about, you know, all the farther it takes you. But um yeah, to be completely transparent, like uh I think it was twenty eighteen when I was living in Pittsburgh and had some pretty traumatic things happen. Like I lost someone super close to me and that that almost that almost showed me like the crossroads and I just decided that I was going to move and come down here and, and make a life and stop like living a double life, you know, and like pretending like I would get a straight job. I do think at I, some point. I kind of think it's like a, it's a dysfunction almost like I feel like like if you have the thing I, I always quote but from the start of letters to a young poet when he says you have to stop writing for a while to see if you'll die if you don't do it yeah. because then it doesn't matter yeah. if anyone ever likes what you do because you know that yeah. you, you have to do it and I have this thing I like I almost think it's like a mental illness where I'm like working at a tree farm and the moment the boss says something rude to me I'm just like bye see ya and and it almost feels like there's there's also this uh Van Nystat who's a filmmaker he makes these zines basically about the artist's life and he he's got this criteria for like knowing if your thing is your thing and it's a list and it's like your thing has an addictive quality to it your thing feels like crime your thing at first you pay to do your thing and then the one that really hit me is every 30 days or so yeah. some force external to you compels you to do your thing yeah, I've had really like, yeah, over COVID, I, I, I was I booked my first national tour for the summer of 2020. 
and then cool. it's just and like put out my first you know big record that I made in a studio mm -hmm. just to nothing oh, on the cool. internet in October just like put all your work into something and package up this box and just like shoot it out to the pandemic was like really disenfranchising but what I have found yes. is since I was like well whatever I guess I'll just train horses now I don't need to whatever ah. I'm not, not a musician then all of a sudden Dude. it's like I get asked to do things all of a sudden it's like the force external so, to yourself I was just having this conversation with my friend my best friend and I was expressing I think I was saying like so many people they feel stuck in one identity and since I've moved to Nashville it's been like it's way more complicated than just this is my thing and this is what I love it's like how are you getting shows? How are people receiving your music? Does this audience like you? Who are you going to play with? Who's going to, how are you going to release your music? Um, so it becomes convoluted. And I feel like taking a step back and just saying to myself, okay, I accept myself the way I am. This is one of my gifts. I get, I get to, I get to play music and write, but like taking the pressure away just like taking that pressure off of myself to because I know I will naturally write. But if I'm writing because I'm like out of fear, that's shit. I have to write because that's what I naturally do. And I'm sure you feel the same. Like, I feel like the best ones fall out of you. And I've, I've heard and I have this idea yeah. that it's the Gemini God complex yeah. because I've heard all three of Kanye West, Andre 3000 and Kendrick Lamar say this, which is that basically they're vessels for God. And and I use God as a placeholder. I don't need it to be like representative of Christian God, but just like right. I meant the, the ones and, and I've just gotten to this point with my songs where I can have some arrogance about a couple of my songs, like a few years in there's some songs yeah. that now I write them and I go play them. And I'm like, listen, motherfuckers to this great song. And, uh, yep. And I think that takes time and that takes refinement. But but the songs that I feel that way about are songs that I was just like, it's it's like you're you're in the shower and the song's like whomp into your head. Do you yeah, it's how amazing. do you feel about that? Like do you I've, feel like I, the best ones just get delivered? I feel like I feel like there are lots of deliveries on a regular basis but I feel like the best ones stay. Yeah. You kind of know what be, they are, right? Mm -hmm, I have to be able to like let the songs come in. Like Ed Sheeran has this quote where he says, you like run the tap and the tap is brown for a good 30 minutes or like an hour. And then you run the tap for a while and then it's finally clear, you know? And that's how I feel. So a little bit different, but like similar similar yeah. yeah 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 I haven't had any I'm, I'm kind of in like this really weird transition where I've I have all these songs from the past couple of years that are not on the record that are brand new but it feels like it feels like there's more coming and so I'm just I'm just like leaving them behind like letting that letting them kind of turn over the harvest, so to speak, to see what grows again and see if any of them, you know, are the song, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I read Brandy Carlisle's book recently, which is. Oh my really God, great. me too. I, I loved it so much. Me I, uh, I, I volunteer at this hippie horse ranch and this lady mm -hmm. Vicky who runs it is like the biggest teacher for me. And she was like, cool. I was never into Brandy Carlisle. And she's just like, read broken horses, do it. But what she yeah. talks about getting older where she writes so much less, but the songs she writes are, have a better hit rate. I definitely, I feel that now. I, I felt a lot of relatability to that, that as you refine the process, you start to just like, when the, when it doesn't work by the end of the first verse, you're just like, eh. Yeah, it's, it's for, It's like, yeah, it's like the manic songwriter just in their room, like scroll, like me sometimes scrawling on these pieces of paper, like remembering chunks of old songs. And um, 
yeah, it's like a lot of mental, a lot of mental energy and a lot of work. So I think, I think one of my goals is to be more focused, maybe like Brandy, maybe like, like you're saying, just make it really like disciplined instead of so like manic. I'm not sure there's any one way. I definitely don't (laughs) feel like there's any one way to do it. Um, Yeah. And, and who knows what people like, like, I don't know how, like, I was talking to Anna Tivill because she just, the way she writes blows my mind because I feel like she, like, if Jason Isbell tells you what the story is, Anna tells you how it feels to be in the story. And Mm -hmm. so vividly and so kind of rhythmically, but her stories aren't linear. And I don't, I'm just like, I'm like, do you, how do you remember your lyrics? Because I feel like everyone has a different way to come to it. And that's, and if it weren't for different ways, then there wouldn't be different music and there wouldn't be like, I definitely, I I don't think there is a, I don't think there's some like practice of like sit down to write and you'll innately get better at it. But I think you, you find your nature and you embrace your nature, whatever your nature is. Yeah. I heard this really good artist. Let me see if I can find this artist. I don't know if I'll be able to find it. Her name was Martha Scanlon. Have you heard of Martha Scanlon? I haven't. Like really cool kind of there's claw hammer banjo, but one of her songs I was listening to last night and it was like this heartbreaking, like heart wrenching love song. And she said, like, I just want to see my fingers in your hair. I would, I just want to see my fingers run through your hair. And I was like, oh my God, that's a feel like that is a feeling I, about missing someone you love or just like longing that I I loved that line. And I love when when like lines affect me that way. Mm-hmm. It was just I was just like, oh my gosh, like I get what this woman is saying. Like she loves somebody so much. She just wants to like she just loves every part of this person, this being, this other person. Um but yeah, definitely like a different type of emotion. And I'm going to revisit Anna's stuff after we talk because I haven't haven't checked her out for a while. I find there I'm, I'm so consumed with the lines that stop you in your tracks there. Are, and th- I find that's what I'm always chasing. There are some of those lines yeah. that I'll be listening to someone kind of when I'm first discovering them. I'll just like, whatever, I'll have it on while I'm folding laundry or I'll have it on in the car. And all of a sudden there's the, there's the line that makes the song hit. And I have to like, I have this thing where I need to stop the song, like take a little moment and just be like, swear about how brilliant it is and restart the song. (laughs) I feel like, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I love like Benjamin Todd's music. Yes. I listened to it and you were saying earlier in our convo that, like you're used to the dancer video, um, the acoustic take, which I want to, I want to do an acoustic version and release it on, on like tape or something for, you know? Um, but I'll just, I'll just listen over and over and like rewind his stuff. And that's so, that's so brilliant. It's like, it's like weird. Like it's like junkie Buddhist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I love that. You know, if, and I was just about to mention one of his lines, if you like Benjamin Todd, I think, you should check out Richard Inman. He's uh, he's yeah. from Manitoba and now he lives okay. in Alberta. But those are like the two Richard people Inman. that I just, I feel like listening to them made my songs better. Cause, and I cool. think about the intention Ben uses, how he delivers lines. Yeah, It's like, it, it all matters. And there's a certain point in his career where that started. I think it was kind of after I Will Rise. Like there's a point where you could tell it started like he found his thing. But yeah. I like that... Uh, I mean, there's so many of his lines, but just like, you're getting dead or you're getting tough. Like, you couldn't say that. You couldn't deliver the message in a more direct and concise way than he did there. Yeah, it's really like, you can tell he's from like a hardworking background and you can tell he's been through through the ringer, you know, and he's honest about it. He's honest about it. Yeah, I love this conversation. <laughs> He, I, I kind of, I just like love nerding out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's song, songwriter nerding out. It doesn't feel, you know, it feels like I, 
I don't get to do that very frequently unless I'm co-writing. And then we, you know, and then we nerd out. But I don't nerd out about gear, you know. I don't know, like, I don't really care. I'm more like, ooh, words. Ooh, yeah. this, I love words. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm so used to, this is really, really great for me to chat with you. And it's kind of reminding me of my conversation with Anna, the, of just like being able to connect to someone Aww. over that love. Um, yeah because I'm so used to just like, I can quote lyrics to people and it's like, it's always too much. Like I can tell the, the average person is like entirely overwhelmed by the yeah. like, passion. I also kind of feel, and, I, and I'll ask you if you relate to this. Yeah. I kind of feel, I have a hard time with kind of meeting musicians because I feel like I actually connect to the world more through music than I do through like actual <laughs> other humans. And then so often yeah. I meet these people and I'll be like, I know you, but you don't know them. How is, uh, how is kind of that, do you relate to that sentiment at all? Do you experience that in the musical world? Yeah, of course. Like, I'll meet like songwriters that I really look up to. And you just, like, it's almost like I have to approach them as like a friend before I can approach them as a musician. But then it's but then there's this mutual this there's this like aspect that takes up large portions of our brain that we obviously are going to talk about at some point, you know. Um, but yeah, you learn so much about songwriters through through their songs. Like, for example, Bella. You know, Bella White. She's from Calgary. Yeah, of course. Like, so when I yeah. like when I first met Bella I had heard all of her music before you know but really I just really I just wanted to listen to what she had to say about about her life first before I was like Bella what's the song you know like tell me about this and this and I'm sure we can nerd out at some point so if you hear this Bella let's let's fucking nerd out about songwriting at some point I've been meaning <laughs> to 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 get her on here I just there's something that has held me back from, cause I, I do have friends in common. Like we grew up in the same scene. Um, I don't know how she got down to Nashville. I think maybe she's got dual citizenship yeah. or something, but uh, I, I did want to, <laughs> <The pipeline laughs> I did want to ask you about Nashville though. Um, the kind of gut, there's something about, I think a lot of people think of Pennsylvania and they think of Philadelphia, which is like very metropolitan city. Uh, yeah. Philadelphia has like, there's a Philly sound, like Dr. Dog, Strand of Oaks, kind of like synthy vibey music. Um, yeah. But Pennsylvania is, uh, has a lot of kind of backwoods and has a lot of like, has a, a lot of that Appalachian kind of vibe to it. Um, mm -hmm. so how do you feel like your Pennsylvanian roots influence music, influence mm -hmm. your, your perspective on music? And how do you feel about that now that you're in Nashville and experiencing something that isn't that? Well, good question. Good question. I grew up not in Philadelphia, but in, on the other side of the state and like earlier in this conversation, I explained, I was kind of, I kind of grew up around like, I don't know, just like rural working folks and like dairy country. So, um, so music was always really tied to nature and like my surroundings. Right. And I think that's where bluegrass comes in. And I think that's where Appalachian and trad folk comes in, but even where some blues music kind of, you know, bubbles up, it's just, seeing these like brutal surroundings, like, you know, like animals dying and, and old people like plowing and that kind of thing. But I also think my roots in like sixties folk are so deep that it follows me. Like the soundscapes of James Taylor, soundscapes of Neil Young, um, John Denver. I just, I mean, I just remember driving with my dad and like listening to that, that music. So that's definitely like distinct from Nashville because Nashville is a country town, like country music. 
capital and like I come from more of a folk music background. So I'm like not, I'm like, I just have a different background than most folks here. That's all. I am kind of obsessed with this like culture of the kind of alternative, like sub Nashville of folks like yeah. you and Benjamin Todd. Yeah. Yeah. Really Carlisle, I'd say, is in that mix and like Molly Pardon and Savannah Conley. There's, Love. I'm just so excited about a lot of this music coming out of Nashville that I've really built up Nashville as this like idealist place. And I was listening to Andrew Bird on a podcast talk about L.A. And he was like, <laughs> he said, the thing about L.A. is that people who are talented come here to get paid. And I feel like there is some of that in Nashville. Um how do you feel like Nashville yeah. has changed your opportunities and has been as a career move? I like, I know there's amazing studios like the sound no, Emporium and, and people that know how to do that, do things with, you know, people with talents at the same time. I'm sure it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Like I imagine it like there's competition and there's industry and Ooh. weirdness that way. Ooh, <laughs> you're just touching on all the big, the big, the big ones, the big ones. To me, like Nashville can easily change someone. There is a cookie cutter here. And if you don't fit into that cookie cutter Nashville sound, um, things can be slower and more difficult. So if you have someone who's already polished, like already like a polished gem, they're, they, they've done the work, they've done the inner work, maybe not the inner work. I mean, most musicians don't do that. They, they could care less, but they've, they've done the outer work. They have their whole act public, like polished and they come to Nashville and they're just like, everyone's like, I love them. That's great. But if you're somebody like me who is on more of a journey with it, Nashville can be challenging. And um, the reason it's challenging is because A, you have to you have to like level up, like taking music seriously, paying your band, um, making sure you're writing songs, um, booking gigs with other amazing songwriters who are like the caliber is insane. You just you're just on a bill at turn around on a Tuesday, you hear the best song of your entire life. So Nashville, like for me, has just been a challenge to like define myself as a person and a musician in ways I never had to before. And and like battle, like just battle so in so many ways. Like it's been it's been like a battle, but yeah, but it's good. But it's good, I guess. For me, because the alternative would be to stay in my hometown and and like, oh, I'm a big shot. Like I, you know, look at what I can do, and then just never ever develop, which you know, seems fucking terrible. I, I think there's two things about that. I have this, and this is gonna make me sound like a total asshole, but I have a problem in Calgary, which is like, kind of the. Um, kind of like the the closest thing the closest canadian equivalent like i always like joke that we're like the canadian version of denver and nashville and houston at the same time whoa like that's because, <laughs> just, just like oil town near the mountains also known for like the biggest rodeo in the country but i have this thing around here where i'm like trying to book gigs and i want to book gigs with people that excite me and a lot of those people end up leaving and going like Bella. If you, if you have the mm -hmm. chance to get down to the States, you often will. People will go to Toronto. Um, and so yes. I think there's a merit that I haven't yet experienced in being surrounded by amazing talent because it means you have to get better. You're, if, if all your friends are better than you, you're going to, through osmosis, steal some of their tricks. Um, yeah. So I do think there's a benefit there, but I also wonder about the benefit in a diversity of opinion or of like of experience. Like I think of Nick Hands, he's really exciting to me, and he's like, looks like he's out in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico, and like seems like a very regular dude, which I think it contributes to the kind of 
I, I think there's a give and take there. There's somewhere along that line that, that, that everything is contributing well, into this world, but this is like, this, yeah, this is, this is kind of, you're just like making my point clearer with these examples. Um, because you can only, you can only improve so much. And then before like your individuality and your flaws become your strengths and your superpowers. And I think that's what, like what happened that's, that's like Nick, Nick's superpower is, are, are like the things that make his music weird and idiosyncratic. And, but he like, he hones that and he doesn't bend. Um, Cause you know, he's had some real experiences and like real experiences. You know, that's one thing I admire. I admire about Nick a lot in his songwriting. Um, but yeah, at the same time, when you're able to like just be around normal folks who just love music because it's healing and it's a, it's something everybody can do, then you lose you lose this like ego that's so present in Nashville. So like there's value to both both ways of of living. Yeah, and I, I firmly believe in the law of neutrality. With I, I feel like I'm getting really self indulgent on this podcast because I'm enjoying this kind of sharing yeah, of, of ideas. But uh, I, I do think like there's there's no one way. I uh, think oh. it's there is like William Prince, who I love, whose shirt I'm wearing, um, is yeah. like from Winnipeg and he's indigenous. And I think that offers a really unique perspective. And at the same time, the record that he made with Dave Cobb is like, I don't, I think if he didn't make that record with Dave or at least someone of like Dave's acumen that he wouldn't be where he is. Cause he had to like go get access to those resources to fully shine through. Like there, there yes. is a place where those need to meet. Yeah. I think, but I think earlier in our condo, we were talking about, um, oh my goodness, what were we talking about? Oh, we were talking about like, you're, yeah, you're like, eat, like for, for this guy, William, maybe it's not even about fame. Maybe it's not about like, maybe for him, it's just about sharing ideas, you know? And like, it's not even about him at that point, right? It's about like helping people. Does that? Does that make sense? I don't know. Like, especially, especially if he's been through, you know, I'm sure like the challenges that as an indigenous person, like you just, it's about a greater thing. So much bigger. I think you can tell too, you start to be able to understand who's here because they listened to music when they were felt alone when they were 12 years old and that's how they connected to the world and they didn't feel alone and they felt healed by it and they're like i need oh to my give God. back to that world and you can also tell who's here because they want to stand on a stage and be clapped for yeah right totally and unfortunately totally. the people that want to stand on a stage and be clapped for have a better time getting on stages and being clapped for like but it's healthy, but that's okay. That's like part of, I think that's like part of a healthy, healthy relationship to your music is like, fuck yeah. I want to be clapped for. <laughs> no, uh, sorry. I, I should clarify. No. I just mean like, yeah. what, what is the core motivator? What is the, the core motivator? And yeah. I think if the core motivator is superficial, a lot of these people with a superficial motivator have an easier time working with the system that helps them get no i was just having i was no joke breton i was just having this conversation it can be so frustrating to work in the music industry to work inside of it because it doesn't it doesn't always feel like it's actually for the music it feels like it's for the the beverage sales and for the you know, and for the sponsors and for, you know, the boot company that's on the feet of Chris Stapleton. And you're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, but, you know, like if, if some boot company wants to sponsor me, like I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> and I'd love like. Uh, anyway, yeah, this is a great. 
I'd love like a boot sponsor, a non-alcoholic beer sponsor. Yes. Uh, like... <laughs> Kombucha, come sponsor yes, me. Let's go. That's a good point. You got to hit up GT Dave. GT Dave, come on. Do you know about GT Dave? I know he's like pretty well known, right? Like he's super cool. Is he still alive? He's the guy like that GT's kombucha. GT Dave is the guy that runs GT's kombucha and he's like he's like a super villain. He's crazy. You gotta like when you're bored. Oh no. Look up GT Dave oh, no. when you're bored. He's All like right, I'm... the real life Tony Stark. Fuck. Okay. But we'll do. So I'll uh I, I feel a little bad for how off the rails I've been on this podcast, but but it's been great to talk to you. The last question I ask everyone is Okay. If you could give any advice to yourself if you were starting out now, what advice would that be? I would say, like, learn piano or take, learn, learn fiddle. Yeah. Learn any other instrument (laughs) other than guitar. Like, learn both. Okay. And like go and seek out people like don't sit in your room and smoke weed and like play your guitar and write sad songs like actually learn how to like about theory like that's what i would tell little angela but she's she's still with me like she's still like learning but i would have learned it when i had a spongy brain i I think (laughs) the, the fiddle one is perfect because i always joke like I'm I'm actually I'm happy that I learned guitar before I learned piano because I learned theory on guitar mm-hmm. and if you know theory you can play piano. Um mm-hmm. it's like if you can write you can type mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Um Yeah. But I do kind of wish that like you'll learn theory no matter what instrument you play and I think violin is so hard. It's like either like start a kid on like a pedal steel or a violin or something like the hardest <laughs> instrument. Start them on the hardest <laughs> instrument. I think like yeah, people your like, kids on pedals too. <laughs> yeah. That's that should be a movement. I uh, if I ever have a kid, I will. They'll be like, I want to play guitar. I'm like, no, you're playing pedal steel. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, dude. but I like Slayer. No, play Slayer on pedal steel. Figure it out. <laughs> Figure it out. I hear your little Canadian accent now. It came out. <laughs> Is it there? It came out. Um, the, <laughs> yeah. But the. Uh, yeah, I do think there's like, I, just to indulge myself once more, I do have this like whole thing about everyone who is in a relationship with their fiddle player because I think that's like the most, the smartest exploit ever because fiddle players are the I... hardest to find and they're the most expensive. So if you can pull a Ben Todd or a Jason Isbell or like Mandolin Orange or Watch House, like it, who, John R. Miller, just, yeah, I'm like, I, I wish oh, there was a endless. dating app for fiddle players. I could name like several more, but that's they're they're smart. There's there's something there's something to that. I mean, there's something to having a relationship with with someone who will like back you up and make you sound better. It's just love, you know. Well, any fiddle players. It's only love. Hopefully, fiddle players <laughs> with another citizenship, because I think if you're gonna get married, you might as well get a citizenship. Hit me up. Mm-hmm. hit Angela yeah. up I'm sure you'd love to marry a fiddle player too yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna have I'm gonna marry a fiddle player and and a bass player and then like have two like spouses you might have to legal. move to Utah okay cool or this maybe is all gonna Nevada I don't know I think Utah went after the <laughs> polygamist I can't okay I'm trying to think of that TLC show well, anyway, yeah, there are definitely many musicians to wife or they, you know, groom up. And until then, just keep singing sad songs in your room and go or go get a dual citizenship and hit up Breton. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode with Angela Autumn. You can find her linked through the show notes. You can find me, Breton Lee John, on all the things. That's two T's. And I'll see you when I see you. I'm going to do my best to get some more episodes in the tank, but after a little bit of a hiatus. Um, the only further thing I have for you is that September 16th, my band Prairie Slang 
with my intrepid friend Dakota Dustow, who has been featured on the Prairie People YouTube channel, one of the best songwriters, if not the best songwriter in the province. We'll be at Bayerica, Bayerica Cafe, where I host open mics and stuff. So if you're in the Calgary area and you want to come out and enjoy some, some folk duo harmonization, come check us out. We'll see ya.